Hi and welcome to the podcast, You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Colt Cabana, who is a good friend of mine. He's a wrestler and he's a comedian and just a delight to talk to. I spoke to him about wrestling during COVID times, about being objectified, uh, about goals and ambition. And I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation because I really enjoy talking to Colt every time. And I think this was a really fantastic conversation. He's a, he's a deep thinker in disguise as not a deep thinker. And I always enjoy that when somebody unpacks themselves in a conversation. And uh, if you're in Sydney, I'm doing Kronos on the 9th and 10th of July for the Bondi Fest. So that will be at uh, down in Bondi. If you want to come along, tickets are available. It has changed from what it was at the Sydney Comedy Festival. There has been one significant change, which uh, you'll see if you come along to that. I'll try and record it for my Patreon people as ever, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser, if you want to support me. Um, or if you want to come to my weekly Tea with Alice salons, which are like Tea with Alice podcasts, but with more people. And I enjoy them so much. It's just been such an incredible thing in times when we haven't been performing that much or when people around the world haven't been able to get together. I just love them. So uh, uh, if you do come along, I, I enjoy that very much. And other than that, follow me on Twitter at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, or also on Instagram, don't really do Facebook anymore these days. Um, that's it. That's it. I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Who are you and what are you drinking? Hi, my name is Colt Cabana. Uh, I am a professional wrestler and uh unprofessional comedian and uh, <laughs> I'm a Chicago boy and uh, I am drinking. I'm going to show you Alice. Do you have uh, these over there? Uh, hint. No, I think we probably do. It's sort of a flavored water, right? This is a cherry hint water infused with cherry essence. And it is the big dog, right? This is like a, a liter, which to you would be uh, a, a liter. No, we do we do liters. We do metric. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that I mean that's close enough to tea. That is essentially tea, water infused with a flavor. Yes. Now, I mean, I hate to break it to you and everybody, but I I don't drink tea. Well, you are drinking tea right now. I so don't I drink hate coffee. To break it to you. Well. See, I don't drink coffee either, so we can agree on that at least. Why don't you drink coffee, and why don't you drink? tea even though you I, do drink tea i don't like well i don't like the taste of tea and which is interesting because my uh, one of my earliest memories is my mom brewing um i guess it would be sun tea do you do sun tea sun uh, or iced sun iced tea ah she would take iced tea and she would put it outside for hours that's like uh <laughs> that familiar to you no yeah it sounds like the time that uh, I was little and it was like 40 something degrees here. And my grandmother decided we'd see if we could fry an egg on the um, outside at her house next to the pool. And we could fry an egg. And then Henry and I, my twin brother and I got very badly sunburned. It was the first time because dad was really angry with her for letting us get sunburned. It was the first time I realized that grownups could get in trouble. Wow. What a realization. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, you know, you could have that kind of the hierarchy wasn't always downwards. Yeah. Did you fry? Did you end up doing the egg? Yes, the egg got fried in the sun. Uh, and we also got fried in the sun, which dad <laughs> was like, duh, obviously that was going to happen. Sure. Uh, yes. And and that's where your 
brain started working. It, yeah. all, it all started coming together. Yeah, you know, I, Chica- mean, I didn't Chica- know you could go dirt to your parents, you know, like I didn't know you could be like, you're an idiot to your parents. Oof. I mean, I said that in later years and was punished heavily for it. <laughs> did, well, did, I you never ever, have. did you ever swear at your parents? No, no, goodness. No, no. My dad was very, um, uh, oh, sort of, I would say a disciplinarian, but like Buddhist disciplinarian. So his punishments were like, go outside and think about what you've done mm. <laughs> or just sort of, just, he'd just sort of shut down emotionally and you'd have to figure out what you'd done wrong, which uh, in retrospect was not necessarily wildly healthy, um, <laughs> but was better than, you know, his grandmother who was like, well, his mother, who, my grandmother, who was completely just would say anything and and have a fit about anything. So I think right. we sort of try and counterbalance our parents in those ways. Who, what about who, you? Did you get in right. trouble as a kid? Who knows the right answer to any of those? So oh, which is the no, correct there's no way, right? right? Yeah. Um, Just traumatize your children enough that they become interesting without ruining them, I think. I, is it the really, thing. yes, I think that's well, that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, I, I remember saying the F word to my mother. I think my mom, I would say in my, if I'd say late teens, early 20s, maybe it was the first time I gave it a shot. Because uh-huh. I knew it was like, it was kind of like a I'm right. And you need to know I'm right. And I know the power of this word. Uh-huh. And then I felt bad about it. But I knew it had to be said to get my, to get what I was saying, you know, to, to get it over or, or or to make sure she understood that what I was saying was, there was a lot of power behind it. Yeah. So my dad uh, used to come at me about my stand-up, uh, the fact that they're swearing in my stand-up or occasionally I'll talk about rude concepts. Um and now he sort of is reconciled to it. And he he's told me a rude joke. My dad has told me one rude joke. And it was like mind blowing. It wasn't a very good joke, but I was like, whoa. Have you told it on here? No, I mean, it wasn't. It was so after Edinburgh, my dad came and visited in Edinburgh. You might have met him actually one year. He came and visited in Edinburgh for a week. And uh, I showed him around and showed him all the weirdest stand up. And he sort of got an idea of where I fit into the thing. And then we did the West Highland Way, the walk up through uh, Scotland and through the Highlands. And we were at this place, this B&B on one of the stops of, of this walk. It's like a hundred kilometer walk or whatever. And there were these, <laughs> there were these women, extremely obnoxious women, uh, not to stereotype them, but they were, you know, very done in the face and the hair and they all had the same hairstyle and the same expensive clothes. And their husbands were all, looking incredibly put upon and sort of staring out the window while these women were just bitching about people who presumably they knew in common. And uh, dad turned to them and said, uh, well, they didn't marry them for their conversation. <laughs> and I was like, what? Dad? <laughs> Wild. Oh, I, that's, that would be the nicest thing my dad ever said. <laughs> <laughs> like for my dad, that was like, whoa. Yeah. It's really big deal. I was so excited by it. I was like, I rang my twin brother. I was like, you won't believe what dad just said. He's starting to become a part of society. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing about your 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 classic Buddhist meditation teacher is that uh, they are sort of separate from society in a way. What have uh, what have you been wrestling with of late? Well, I mean, is everyone going to talk about the pandemic, like pandemic and stuff? I, I. It depends on what what it has made you think about. I guess. Well, a lot something of, interesting. 
well, I didn't realize, I guess I, oh, I've, I've learned a lot about myself because I get, and I'll give you so, like, uh, so as a wrestler, that's obviously that's something I've been, I've been wrestling with people, but, um, yes. <laughs> you know, well, you my, touch people and like breathe on them and stuff. Well, that's, that's okay. I feel, uh, when we went, cause we go, we, through this whole pandemic, I went and I wrestled, uh, every other week I was flying, um, every other week, oh. e- even in March and April in America, it was pretty wild. I had never seen the airports that empty before. It was, it was an eye opener. It's like I, I, in the moment I was like, this is something I'll remember forever for sure. Uh, just seeing an empty o- international O'Hare airport, you know, and then me being one of three people on a, an airplane, but, um, in this whole thing, I have to, so I have to work out obviously. And eventually the gyms did open, but the, um, everyone had your mask mandates on. And I really, I didn't, I don't know. I still don't know what it was. And maybe, you know, through conversation, we could kind of figure it out, but I, I, I guess I've really become a stick, like a stickler for the rules. You know, I would, I would really get, I don't know, mad at everyone in the gym who even like slightly had it under their nose, their masks and everything. And I don't know if it's, I, I see, I don't think it's be, my parents and, and people around me were like, are you scared of getting COVID? And I was like, not really. Like if I get it, I think I'll be, I, I think my body might be healthy enough to fight it. Um, but for some reason it was like the society has said, wear your mask. So I really wanted people to wear their mask and I would get really angry, not physically or even out loud, yeah. but like anxiety would come over me about these people not wearing their masks. And I would go to the people that worked at the gym and I would be like, I feel really uncomfortable. I was trying to go over there. I would, you know, I try to be as nice about it as I could be. And I'd be, yeah. I, feel, I feel real uncomfortable. I'd like to work out over in that area, but I just don't feel comfortable working out over there. And then the people at the gym were like, Oh, fine. You know, like they didn't seem to really want to do it, but they knew that was the rule. So they would go tell the person. And then obviously there would be a con- like a conflict with the person because no one wants to be told, you know, yeah. More than half the time, no one was like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's like they're doing that because they don't want to. So that's kind of what I'm wrestling with is why, why I, I, why why a strong reaction. Yes. And I'm like, I'm kind of a a rebel in a bit of a way too. Yeah. Right. Certainly you like that's your, your public persona is, is you've worked around this like very big machine. I don't know if people listening watch wrestling or know anything about wrestling, but it's a, you know, you have this massive central sort of machine where there's a huge amount of money and and publicity and there's ways of doing things that are very strict and conformist. And then you sort of have operated for many years around the edges of that with like great success that you have had like been able to kind of play off that big machine without being sucked into it and without having to conform Yes. yes. Right. And it's like, I don't know if it's a hatred for corporate America or whatever, but it is, it's a hatred for that machine. It's like for someone to tell you what to do. Um, And then here we are, it's like America, the biggest machine, or it's not even America, it's the world telling well, us what to do. And I'm like, so there's a difference here. Okay. Yeah, but there's, there's a difference. I think, I think this is a really interesting thing. First of all, like, getting COVID isn't all about whether you can die of it or not. You know, erectile dysfunction is a major 
uh, a major factor in long COVID for men, which I don't understand why that's not in more of the publicity. It should be the selling point, yes. Yeah, circulation effect, like long COVID as just being slightly impaired for ages is a really fucking terrible thing. Like anyone who's woken up with a hangover or woken up tired after a long day knows what it's like to be slightly under your normal level. And the idea of signing up for that for weeks or months or forever, even if you have a mild case of COVID, that can happen. I have a friend who's a singer and she got, you know, she got a really mild case, like a sniffle for a couple of days. And then she had scar tissue in her lungs and she was like bed bound for like six months. Like this is a part of it. Everyone's kind of focusing on the death rates, but actually there's this other side to it as well. So like that aside, I think it's really interesting that you had this strong reaction to the mask wearing because, because it's not about, I think for, I think the people who don't want to wear masks want to characterize it as people telling them what to do, but it's not. It's a it's a it's a social agreement. Because I don't like, like people telling me what to do. Yeah, but I it's, hate it, people telling me what to do. <laughs> yeah, but it's not it's not people telling you what to do. It's us agreeing as a society that we are going to do a thing. I think that's the difference. It's not. It's not. I mean, even though there are rules and everything, it's not being imposed top down. Or maybe maybe it's because you're part of this society of like comedians and artists around the world where pe- other people might see it as the authorities telling you what to do. You see the kind of network effect of everyone agreeing that this is what we want to do and why we want to do it. And it's like it's like we all we all discussed it and we all agreed that this was what we're going to do. And so to have people not doing it is very frustrating if you've mm. agreed to do it. Maybe yeah. something like that. Yeah, but why have I agreed to do it? I mean, obviously, because th- let's make the world a better place, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. like old people. <laughs> Some, yeah. I have friends who are old. What I'm really curious is, and I don't know if you've thought about this, is if you were 16, mm. would you wear the mask? Would I, would I wear the mask? Right? Because I, it, to me, it's like, I don't know. I remember being maybe 19 on a 19 on a, a wrestling road trip and throw uh, d- driving the highways of America and throwing my garbage out the window. Like it's not a big deal. Right. And so, but as you know, as I grow and you know, I learn and I become, I think we all kind of become better people. I hope as we grow, uh, you know, I realize how important it is to not throw your garbage out the window. Um, and so the same with my, with a mask. I, I, I just, I wonder if I would be a reckless teen who would be like, I don't care. Stop it. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think it was sort of depend on what tribe of people you were among, what group of people you were among. And because it's become that as well, it's become a sign of identity, uh, who you affiliate yourself with. Where you wear, whether you're wearing a mask or not. For me, the big uh, interesting thing was my dad getting vaccinated. So they've just started rolling out the vaccine in Australia now. So my dad got vaccinated, fully vaccinated, about three weeks ago is when he finished his uh, second vaccination. And I found myself after that being less careful. Even though the risk in Australia is low, there are currently, I think, no cases in New South Wales and there are a few cases down in uh, Victoria, but the borders are closed between here and, and the next state down. Uh, but I didn't realise how much me being kind of extra careful and extra cautious was just worrying about my dad. Mm. Because as you say, you know, even if I got long COVID, that's me, that's me taking a risk with myself. But the idea of taking a risk with somebody else's life is just... 
I don't know this term long COVID. Is that what they're calling it? Yeah, that's the that's where you have these kind of long. Really, is that not part of the news cycle over there? I'm not hearing it. That's wild because it's long COVID. I, yeah, that's the that's what they call it. Is where you have these long symptoms, or you know, sort of a chronic fatigue, or nasty. Um, blood clot stuff or all the breathing stuff that's happening yeah that's that's I I think going to be the real I mean other than the terrible toll in actual human lives just people being a bit shit like a lot of people being a bit shit for a long time is going to have a massive impact if like if 10% of your working population is 10% less efficient that's huge yeah it's weird for me to think about that because as a wrestler, I've just beaten up my body for so long that I'm just like used to like moving <laughs> forward with my life, like knowing it's not a hundred percent. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't know if it's weird or it's interesting that I kind of do only see it as like death or not, <laughs> you know, like my friend, just like whatever, like, like you said, even if like my lungs hurt a little bit, I'd be like, yeah, but I could still figure out how to do, I'll figure it out. Like as long as I'm still here on this planet. Your gimmick is wheezing after every move. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, yeah, but I'd still be like, I still beat it. You know, that's, I think that would be my thought process. Yeah. Is, you know, the ultimate beating is living. Even yeah. if it, it takes a huge toll. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing. I think uh, because my mom was sick, I, I, it's one of the things that I dread the most is fatigue which is the not being able to do a thing and then after a while almost not being able to want to do the thing because you just don't have the energy to care. That for me is one of my biggest fears because I, I saw that kind of tragedy play out with my mum who was such a brilliant and creative person and then couldn't be brilliant and creative in the ways that she wanted to be and then eventually sort of stopped wanting to be out of self-defence or whatever it was. Uh, sort of there's a scene in have you seen the movie looper yes with bruce willis bruce willis and uh just gordon justin gordon levitt yeah um there's a scene in that where there's a man um who so they can sort of injure you in the past and it appears in the present suddenly uh, and there's a man who is being tortured for some information and the way that it plays out is that he sort of loses a finger, a finger is disappeared and then just isn't there and then another finger and then like his foot and he's trying to move forward while all these chunks are not just gone but like gone and healed. Like he's not bleeding or anything that's been like that for ages but he's suddenly coming to terms with all of these big chunks missing. And for me that was like that kind of body horror is is the worst. The idea of being bitten by a shark and not feeling it is way worse than being bitten by a shark and feeling it. No way. See, but that's for me, just that. The, <laughs> that's see, the, 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 the only fear of, of being burnt by a fire is the pain of the burnt of the fire. No, for me, for me, for me it's the, it's the, it's the sudden loss of, of ability or sudden loss of a, a function without the without the pain there's something very horrible about that to me um and so i think for me that's the fear for, for long COVID is just waking up and then just never having the energy to mm. go for a walk again you know sometimes you wake up and you're like oh, i want to go for a walk just losing that never never deciding you want to go for a walk again that would be i mean i hate to tell you but 
that that's me in a nutshell. Even this morning, I was like, I got up, I was like, I should go for a walk. And then honestly, I've had a plan of, of like, get up, especially during COVID times, like get up, do a hundred pushups, a hundred sit-ups. I never do it. Get up, go for a walk for an hour. So you knock it out. I never do it. I say to myself every single morning and I never do it. Also, I love sleeping on the couch or like laying on the couch. It's one of my favorite activities. So like when you, when you talk about your mom being like, oh, she doesn't have the energy. I'll be like, yeah, it sounds, yeah, I like that. You just like, it. I like, I won't, I'll be on the couch. I won't feel bad about it. It'll yeah. But right. this is the thing you do feel bad about it, which is the thing. She feels you bad have a work, you, Well, she did. Yeah. Uh, when she was alive, she definitely felt bad about it. And there's, there was a whole, yeah. One of my biggest fears is being uh, lazy or inactive or uh, any of those things. Like I, I can't, ugh, it stresses me out. So even, even now when I'm just like, no, I'm just going to sit down and read a book for a while. I'm like, should I be? Mm, there's nothing better <laughs> to me. I mean, I would never read obviously, but uh, <laughs> if that book was on a movie, it would be perfect. And if that, if that book was looper, that would be perfect. I could watch I think, I think, I mean, you've been working this whole time though haven't you yes a lot when you and have finding... every excuse to sit on the couch for a whole <laughs> yes, year it's true but i find i also find ways to work while sitting on the couch i mean that's what we've done essentially right yeah is like how can we okay i can't go do a show so let's figure out how to podcast let's figure out how to do instagram live let's figure out how to twitch all of this stuff yeah so um, this like this self-narrative of you is like just a chilled out lazy dude I think is contradicted by the fact that you've worked insanely hard. You're one of the most like prolific people that I've seen through this whole time. <laughs> but I don't know, you know, I, yes, I, I agree. Like I do, but then I also cherish that time. I cherish the time of sitting down, but also like, that's the great thing about a laptop is I could sit and be lazy and comfortable. I, I, I cherish comfort, comfortability. It's very important to me. And a oh, lot your of your job, your job is being uncomfortable, make people <laughs> right. deliberately making you uncomfortable. So I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Just so sitting I, on a couch without anyone sticking their elbow in you is probably nice. <laughs> I didn't try to get, I guess I try to get comfortable in wrestling too, as much as I can. I have some nice, comfortable ring attire, I think some ring jackets, <laughs> you know? Um, so uh, well, yeah, I think, I think that seems like as an outsider to wrestling, that seems to be, sort of the process of it is finding people that you're comfortable working with and doing these sort of wild physical things with that you can feel safe around them in what is essentially a fairly unsafe job. The most unsafe. And as I would say in my youth, it was, uh, it was about towing the line of being unsafe, like how kind of in a jackassy way, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Pushing it. Yeah, like the the movies and TV show is like you know yeah, yeah, seeing, yeah. seeing what we could get away with and how hard we could go to get a crowd to get oohs and ahs from crowds, um, which is interesting because obviously that there came a point in my life in my career where I changed it from that to wanting those oohs and ahs to be through comedy and wrestling, not necessarily um, stunts and wrestling, but but there's still always something about me that wants to. Even like even as I've defined myself as the comedy and wrestling guy, I know the second I do a, a stunt, a jackass stunt, like I think that's that'll get a better reaction and a crazy reaction. And I don't know what the fulfillment is. But yeah, I, you know, that's I say to really myself that like, oh, like I'm 
like these people don't think I can do it. I'm or I'm capable. Oh, I'm capable, and I'm going to make them go crazy because I'm going to do it. Yeah, in, in there's a sort of an analogy that I can see think of in comedy, which is the sort of you can see comedians who are wild cards, and they'll get on stage and they will do something completely off the wall and it will either fail miserably or be amazing and that is the kind of comedian that other comedians like watching the most because it's a high wire act there's real risk whereas a really well put together set which is going to work at you know nine out of ten ten out of ten the audience will be happy every single time there's no danger in that. For the comedians watching, you want to see the high wire act. You want to see the person who comes out covered in mayonnaise and <laughs> releases a live dove. You know, you're just like, what are you doing? And then they manage to make it work. And that is so much more like, ooh, that's a that's a feat. There's danger there in a way that somebody coming out with like perfectly written, beautiful jokes, you'll enjoy it and you'll sort of admire the craftsmanship. Uh, but the, 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 that extra edge of danger is such a thrill to whatever the human, we like to watch other people towing that line. Yeah. But my, I don't know, like, cause I can perfectly craft like the danger can also be perfectly like the only difference because wrestling is a little different that way is that the only difference is the amount of actual physical danger, oh. which I maybe I, which I don't, no, if that's exactly what you're talking about. Well, there's no real danger in right. comedy unless you're in well, front of a very hostile crowd. <laughs> or God, the, when you, when you said that, there's a there's an Australian comedian. His name is David. I don't if you know who I'm talking about. His name is David Corlaris or something like that. Does it? Oh yes, yeah. Does this I sound know familiar? Him. Yes. And like yes, and I've seen him. He like seems to bring so much physicality and not given an F and. Uh, and he and I think I've seen him a couple of times where he actually does get hurt. So uh, which I don't know, which is it's odd that I enjoy not odd. It's, I guess, telling that I enjoy his um, his comedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's a few there's one or two who do that kind of it's, again, yeah. it's this sort of stunt comedy bordering on ma- magic, which I don't. Uh, one of my flaws of character is I, I, I don't get magic as a thing. I know, I know it's very good. I know there are very skilled people who do it, but I find it difficult to. <laughs> <laughs> I just did I a mean... magic trick for her. <laughs> there you go. It's great. <laughs> I just, I just, I think, I think I've known uh, too many not great magicians that, and, and I don't mean not, not great in their skill set. I mean, not great as, as people. There's a particular mm. strand of comedian, uh, of magicians who are magicians because they couldn't talk to women and they decided that the way to talk to women was not to learn to talk to women, but learn how to trick women. (laughs) See, when uh, when you said there's a certain strand of person, that's who I thought of right away. But I was like, I don't, maybe she's not talking about that. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's exactly who she was talking about. Yeah. So I feel like, I feel like the other, I'm sure there, there are many, many, decent hardworking some love the art of it yes ethical uh magicians and i know some of them in in fact but uh, i feel like they're the shadow cast by the man who's decided that he can uh wizard a woman into bed is uh i have a friend who went on a first date with a magician and uh, she brought him home and he had a trick where he threw a card at her bedroom window from outside and when they went inside 
the card was on the inside of the window and she kicked him out because she's like, he had to like sneak in and put the card in my yes. room. <laughs> like that's so, <laughs> that's so upsetting. And um, good for, good for her too. Like to the really, fact that he thought that would work. Cause so many before were probably, well, were probably like amazing. Yeah. But, um, I, but I do want you to think that cause I, as a wrestler, I consider myself a little bit of a magician. And as a, I think stand-ups, like we, I think stand-ups are also, there's magician there. It's the art of, uh, what is it? Deflection, yeah. you know, play uh, misdirection, misdirection, unbelievably. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I know your hatred for the pickup artist, but you have to understand that. Yeah. Well, I can't, have, I can't you say, you say I love tactics. it when I see comedians misusing their power either, I think. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I should redeem my uh, re- redeem my attitude towards magicians because it is it is similar. Um, the art of it specifically too, I think, or you know, or just right like the like the psychology, the psych- psychological basis of it. Yeah, the way you think about it, and and probably the re- to a certain extent the reward you get from the audience, mm-hmm. um, and the engagement with the audience as well, that it doesn't work if the audience isn't part of it, which I think is, is an, an interesting feature about all of those kind of like, like a ballet I'm... can be a ballet in an empty room. Comedy isn't comedy in an empty room. Mm-hmm. But I think of it less of, of, I think of it less of it as their participation, the audience. When I, when I will compare myself to a magician or, it's less of just the overall of like, we need you so we could do this, but it's more of the breakdown of the psycho, the psychology of the, the specific thing we're doing, whether for me, it's a move or it's a joke, or it's like, I, like I'm moving, you know, I'm, I've brought their attention this way. And then that one thing I brought it this way. And that's why they react. So I see that as the magic, not necessarily the broad aspect of, I just need you so you can cheer or boo for me. uh, Well, no, but that's what I mean. Uh, I, no, I think we I think we agree more than we appear to agree. It's that you need to you need the audience to be not just in the room. You you need their minds. Their minds are part of it because mm. the trick is to move their minds in this direction and put their minds there. And then you bring their minds to this point at the punchline and they laugh. That if if you don't if you don't successfully make that happen with the people in the room, then the it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. It isn't a successful joke. Even if you've said the same words in that order, if you haven't brought the people in the room to those places. And that's an illusion then, and that's magic. Yeah, I guess so. I guess <laughs> so. A, oh no, are, I'm a magician. <laughs> we are what we hate. And by we, I mean you. I love Do magic. Do I need a hat now? <laughs> yes. Do I need a hat? I love magic <laughs> so much. <laughs> oh, I know the ama- amazing Randy died. So sad. Oh, well, uh, magician to... slash debunker, the amazing Randy. Was he a UK guy? I I don't know, but he I, I think he was an American, but he sort of died. I, I think he's ninety something. He oh, ooh, I do not. Know. I only know the amazing Jonathan. Yeah, I don't yes. know the amazing Jonathan. I don't know any other magicians other than Penn and Teller and the amazing Randy. There you go. It's ooh. funny you said because I I like at the fringe or whatever. I love magic. I love watching magic, but I, and not to bring it back and we could tail away, but I do hate that person at the bar. 
Like I, I cringe as much as you do. Right. Like, <laughs> and I, and I do question it. So. Is, is the man. Okay. So this is an interesting thing as a, as a good looking young man in that environment, how do you feel when you see pickup artists or these kind of comedians or performers using that kind of power that they have undeniably to manipulate people in order to get women into bed? Do you think that's kind of fair enough par for the course or does it make you feel like people not wearing their masks properly? Mm. <laughs> uh, as, they are, as they are wearing a metaphorical mask. Or, or a third time. option, you know, I'm, yeah. I've just closed you into two very restrictive options. You can, you can have another reaction. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, in my, I've never been that good necessarily at, um, at the initial like meet with a, with a, with a woman, if you understand what I'm saying, like I'm very good once I know somebody and I'm in conversation, I think I'm charming enough, but it's, uh, and I think this goes back to like some kind of rejection something right so like i there's a lot of fear of like that initial like i see a good looking lady or something i'd like to start i'd like to start some kind of conversation but i i it's it's so hard to do so in that aspect i remember uh like watching that i think there was a show like that guy mystery had a show on vh you know what i'm saying like so like yeah 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 so i figured there's a shortcut or a trick or some magic you can do yes yes but I, I, I thought like that was fun. That idea of like how to get into a conversation, but I did hate the idea of a formula to play that whole thing out into sex and then never see somebody again. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's sort of the tragedy of the pickup artist is it's it is mainly drawing in people who. Uh, just have the trouble of of engaging with another person. Right? And the trick, the so I used to tutor uh, people in high school, and when I when I found there was a couple of my young men students who I could get to do enormous amounts of work if I told them it was a trick. So the trick to writing an essay is all you need to do is have like a really concise uh, topic <laughs> sentence, and and they'd be like, oh, because they thought it was a they thought they were doing a trick, and then they would do all the work that they needed to do. Right. And so I think just f- for some people, feeling like there's a way of doing it is very reassuring and because it's it's desperately uncomfortable to put yourself out there to another person and, and to feel vulnerable to another person and to have someone reject you wholesale after five seconds of conversation because of the way you you your aura is like this it, it just makes you feel very helpless and so it takes these people who you know want some comfort or some structure and then the actual answer is to be a person and treat other people like people Mm-hmm. actually <laughs> that's the you know that's the that's that's the real trick of it but this whole formula is about treating people not as people treating people as numbers so then you don't have to feel rejected because it's just a number and you don't have to feel uh you know if you're if you're a character act on stage and the audience doesn't like you doesn't matter because they don't like the character it's not you that they don't like so it's funny you say that because I do, I do ask myself like well why was I why was I always afraid of rejection specifically from uh, approaching women? But I put myself in a field that, you know, how many times I've screwed up or how many awful shows I've been on or how embarrassing the shows have been. Right. But I think you're right. I think it is like, I, you know, the person going after the the woman is a guy named Scott, uh, the person in this rejection filled career is a character named Cole Cabana or whatever, you know? So I, I, 
I assume that is the short answer to it. Well, for me, stand-up comedy was that. When I first did stand-up, it was because I was bad, because I'm not naturally funny. This is me naturally. I like talking about ideas and stuff, but I'm not naturally funny. I'm not naturally an entertainer or a class clown. And when I started comedy, it was the one place in my whole life that I was safe to fail because it didn't matter. I'm not a comedian. It's not part of my soul. So I can do it badly and go, oh, that's interesting. I can learn. And that I got so addicted to that process of learning through failure rather than having to be good at everything straight out of the gate that that this has ended up being my my job or my career. But it, that is an interesting thing because it doesn't feel, of course, you take rejections and, and things, but it doesn't feel as personal. Mm. They don't hate me. They don't like my comedy. That's fine. You know? you know, or, or there's, I, I mean, you're right. Like I, you know, I think Scott and Coco are very, very, very similar, but you know, e- even the standups have, even if your name is the same on stage or off stage, those are two different things. I don't know if, if that's something you've admitted to yourself or if, if you've thought oh, about absolutely. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a, yeah. It's a different, so that's it's a, a different, different thing. thing. You have a different yeah. level of control and a different level of vulnerability. It's, it's always interesting to watch people react to a heckler because that un- that undermines that safety of being on stage, the untouchableness of being on stage, which is such a safe place to be, um, even if you are uh, failing. But, yeah, no, it's interesting. It's, I, I do know, I have seen you be uh, shy in the pickup game. <laughs> in, in Edinburgh, I had a friend of mine who was, like, really interested in you and uh, it, didn't, it didn't come to anything because you were too much of a gentleman. There you go, which he, is always <laughs> I messaged something. her and said, what happened? And she said, he just sort of ate a protein bar and went home. <laughs> it sums <laughs> my life up. on a T-shirt. <laughs> That's my reverse pickup artist book that I'm putting out. And yeah. I, yeah. And I've always, listen, I've always wanted to be that person. I, you know, like I would, I would see those people that would, that could, I guess, you know, uh, for a lack of term, close it or whatever. And then like go home with a woman, but just like, if it wasn't, if it just didn't feel natural for me, I, I hate, I hated unnatural situations or whatever. I, I could just feel it being wrong. So I think that, uh, I know that there's this big narrative in masculine culture, particularly in American um, man culture, which is very rigid in its idea of what a man is or what a man should be, that the idea is that you should want to close it with anyone, or, you know, that it should always be your goal in, in any situation. But it feels sort of to me, and again, I'm speaking from the perspective of not an American and and, and a woman, but it feels to me like it's sort of, it's like junk food in a way. That, that, that idea of conquest or scoring, it, 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 the cumulative effect is to make you feel like less of a human being and to feel less like the person you're with is a human being. There's something sort of... Break that down it, again for me. Try that again. So, so you know... Uh, What's you like know, junk food? Sort of one-night stands or picking people up or collecting people or notches on your bedpost or the idea okay. of just just having sex with someone in order to have sex with them. To, not, e- not even to have sex with them, but to have had sex with them. That idea is inherently to me like it might be satisfying in the moment, but it's not n- nutritious. Mm-hmm. Like it feels to me like junk food, which is not to say that no one should do it or that it isn't a fun thing or that it isn't delicious in its own way. 
but that if that's your approach to everything, it just you're not going to feel very good after a while. And, you know, you see that in the pickup artist community. So many of those major players who were big stars, you know, mystery ended up sort of trying to kill himself 12 times or something like that. I just think it, like, I think it doesn't, it is like junk food. If that's all you eat, if that's your approach to this whole area of well-being, which is relationships with the people you're attracted to, if that's your idea of it, you're not getting you're going to end up like quite un- unhappy and unhealthy in that area. You know, and in like the bodybuilding community or even, I don't know, the health nut community, it's like, you're supposed to have the cheat meal. So like doing the right, doing the one night stand or whatever it is, like, it's not, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but when yeah, you're sometimes, doing, sometimes it's going to feel right. Sometimes you're going to be like, this is the thing. This is what I want. I want a burger. Or maybe it, it and it's maybe it's healthy too. Right. For th- th- this time meant for your mental men- for your mental health as opposed to your physical health. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I don't know if I'm the wrong, well, I mean, a lot of people tell me I'm, I, I look the part of the, the atypical like Jack male, but you know, once you get behind it a little bit, you understand that I'm a little different. So that, that was never my mentality. And I, I mean, I think that's why and I, I think it shows that that's why I think your friend was like, what's going on. Uh, it, why, you know, I don't know if it was, why, why would, Oh, this is the guy I'm going to score with tonight, or whatever. But that's just <laughs> no. A- <laughs> I I think she was just on on the prowl and thought you look like a nice guy. And um, also, I think the quote was, "I could climb him like a tree." There you go. Yes. <laughs> Which is it's interesting. I think uh, for a man to be objectified occasionally. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, I work for a company called AEW, and it's um. It's a, it's a very, we're on television internationally. It's kind of a big deal in, in my business. And so we have like a PR staff or a HR staff, you know, and like, there's like rules and stuff. And so we, we will go to these, we'll have these meetings of like what you can and cannot do. And so this is stuff I always think about, especially with a crowd and interacting with a crowd. And, and as I get older, like, you know, not to, not to call the, you know, in, in the when I was starting wrestling, it'd be like, here's how you get, if you're a bad guy, here's how you get what we call heat. Here's how you get the people mad at you. You call them all fat or you call them all, or you, you pick someone out and you say, you're a, you know, sit down tubby or whatever. And then it gets to a point where I got to a point where I thought to myself, well, if I was that fan and I'm self-conscious about my weight uh, and then someone picked me out in front of everybody and, and pointed out my flaws, I would hate it so much and I would probably never come back. So that's how I thought, that's how I started, I think, becoming a better person and performer. But then, so, and then when it comes to like touching women and all the stuff, of course, but then I think of the opposite and all of the times that like a woman, you know, like an old fun woman would come and pinch my butt or whatever. Right. Which is we, you know, that is not right. Right. That you should, but I love it. (laughs) And, (laughs) and so I, I don't know where the line is, but I also think that when I'm signing autographs and an old granny comes up and she kisses me on the cheek or slaps my butt or, or touches my chest or something like that, I'm still in character and I still find it as part of the performance. Mm. And I think that's just the, the fun of the performance. And also I think that's like, I romanticize about wrestling and like, that's part of wrestling too. So, um, so that's like me getting me getting objectified, but and loving it. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what the right answer to that is, 
but it's I guess that's something I've wrestled with. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a, it is a thing that everyone uh, wrestles with because, of course, the narrative is so straightforward, which is that it is wrong to objectify people and it diminishes them. But the well, reality of life is actually we all quite enjoy being objectified a little bit in the right circumstances. Yeah, like if it's if it's a situation where you know but, you're coming to give a board presentation and you want to be taken seriously and someone's like shut up sugar tits like that is awful but if you go out to a bar and you've put on makeup and you've dressed up and you're wearing all your nice stuff and you've you know if somebody walks past you and is like hello hooray what a delight <laughs> but so Success. let's take the, let's take the same scenario after a show, I'm signing autographs. A woman, uh, a woman in her 60s comes up to me and touches me, or a woman in her 70s touches me, grabs me. I love it. In that same scenario, if a woman, I mean, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but if a if a if a woman wrestler is signing autographs and a and an old dude comes up and grabs her butt or grabs her chest or whatever, I, I can't. In, in zero ways is that okay? I yeah. in my head. Well, yeah, I think there's there's there are sort of there's some assumed power dynamics as well that 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 are playing out. There's a there's a thing that I talk about with Craig Quartermain. You know, Craig Quartermain, of course, the comedian. Good, okay. I um, lived with him. Yeah, he's such a delight. <laughs> um, so we were talking about this in terms of jokes and how you can tell when somebody's saying an off-color joke. You can tell when they're using it to mean come in, join the club. I know you know that I don't mean this thing and that's a fun, it's a fun game that we're playing and because I see you as an equal, I know that you won't take this in the wrong way. You can tell when a joke is that and you can tell when a joke backstage, which is, you know, in the instance of of Craig, he's an Indigenous Australian, in my instance, I'm a woman. You can tell when a joke is uh, reminding you that you have a place and putting you in that place. So there's a kind of joke where it's like, ha, 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 you know I could rape you. Oh God! It, it is, and it, and you 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 can feel it, and you can tell, and it's just in the room, and it's a slap in the face because you thought you were there as a comedian, you thought you were there as their colleague, and all of a sudden they've gone. Oh, by the way, there's this power dynamic, and you will never be at my level. It's a way that people use to kind of assert power over you, and it's but it's that feeling of being put in your place. And I think when it comes to an you know seventy year old lady thinking what a handsome young man you are that's not there's not a kind of a place or a hierarchy that she's diminishing you to put you in it's sort of an appreciation and an enjoyment even if the act is the same as a man doing that to a female wrestler the meaning is different and i i'm there for her to enjoy herself i feel (laughs) it's the least i can do i feel it makes me i get in the same way that a woman i guess when you would say, if, if a guy says, oh, hey there, like, that's what she signed up for. Yeah, I, it's the same thing. I, I, well, I like that she, I like that she's having a good time. I don't know, is that woman enjoying that that man is having a good time saying, hi, pretty girl? It, it sort of depends. <laughs> I think it depends. Again, it's like one of these like super nuanced things where there isn't actually a formula it's you have to think about the person and who you are and who they are and who you are and who they are in this room in this circumstance at that time you know there's there's circumstances where somebody will come up to me and be like hey I saw your show last night I have such a crush on you I want to marry you and it's like 
amazing. And there's times at which I'm walking alone at night in a park and someone will come up to me and be like, I'm going to marry you. And it's the most stressful thing that has ever happened to me in my life. And I want to call the police. Uh, even, so so you, you sort of have to th- think about the context in that, you know, in that context, you've come off stage. You are a powerful figure. You're an icon. You are uh, I'm, a sort I'm of I'm glistening. You're glistening uh, with your oily pecs. You're there as a kind of a, a, a statue, a representation of something, and you have that kind of the glow of having been on stage. So you are, as you say, like you're a character. You're this characterized version of yourself. And so there is a power to that that I think is, is relevant in that circumstance. Mm. But uh, maybe I'm just excusing workplace sexual harassment. Yeah, no, I, right. Like I'm, I think that was the whole point is that I excused it also. Mm, <laughs> cause yeah. I was, yeah. Cause I thought it was cool. <laughs> and I don't know if it's also, I, I know I use the, the, the old woman as an example and I don't know if it's just age, but also like, yeah, I like, I guess like if, and this has happened many times, like if a gay dude, it's, you know, like, uh, not the stereotype, but let's say an overly flamboyant homosexual man is really into me after, a, you know, like after a, a match and I I'll play it up for him. Cause I think it's fun. And I, and I want to, yeah. I don't know. I want to help some, I, I don't know if I want to help. Well, I definitely know. I, I definitely know by like, by saying, by shutting it down. And maybe there's that also, it could come back to that rejection factor. It's like, I don't want to reject this person. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I know the feeling of h- hating being rejected, so I'm going to make sure this person feels comfortable, even if what they're doing is a little bit wrong. Well, yeah, there's the, that's the interesting thing about power in the situation. I think you probably have a quite a strong sense of, of power dynamics in, in the moment in which you have this ability to make somebody feel good uh, by letting them yeah. <laughs> tell you how handsome you are. And it's probably, I, I, I wonder, and I, it's probably a lot has to do with uh, improv wrestling for so many years. Right. Like, like, you know, essentially that's an audience of one, you know, but I've been doing it for so long with an audience of many of like being something in the moment. And that's my specialty is well, wrestling is all in the moment. Um, There's some scripted stuff, but like the, you know, probably just like stand up, the best stuff comes from, you know, thinking on the fly. Um, Yeah. And so that's, those are probably the natural instincts kicking, kicking in. To yes my, and yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I think in those circumstances, I think it has to do with your also your sense of personal safety and security. If you're in a, a contained thing where well, you're talking to this person for a period of time, you're only going to be talking to them for five minutes. You're in this safe environment. You might feel very differently if you're on the train on the way home, you know, with your headphones in and your hoodie on and you're relaxed, and then all of a sudden someone comes and you know waggles their butt in your face. Like that's a different <laughs> scenario, and is probably less appropriate than this, you know, contained moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hundred percent. But ah, uh, oh, this has been so much fun. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, where can people find you online? Oh well, I so I just put out a new podcast that I'm super excited about. It's really fun. And it's called Wrestling Anonymous. And it's like a half hour, a little more than a half hour of just wrestling fans anonymously calling in, 
wrestling, uh, any kind of story that just the, the the backbone of it is wrestling. Something has to do with wrestling. So there's been a lot of people calling in with fun stuff of like seeing a wrestler and interacting at like a restaurant out in the wild or weird weird things that have happened at shows or people's uh, who have family members, you know, like Thanksgiving dinners with, and they didn't know and their favorite wrestler comes to a Thanksgiving dinner. And so uh, they're like, I don't know, two minute uh, voice messages. And then I kind of talk about it and I put a bunch of them on the show. So uh, wrestling anonymous is great wherever you can find me on podcasts and then uh, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at Colt Cabana and um you sell like enormous quantities of merch right as well yeah (laughs) and then i i ship everything from my home i do a lot of that coltmerch.com i like a fun thing would be like if you have um i wrote a children's book i have little like colt plush dolls i wrote i i made a comedy documentary about comedy and wrestling so that even if you're like not a diehard wrestling fan there's like there's something for everybody there and then um, you have little 3D figurines for Grandmaster Fondle. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, these, I I got these new plush dolls, and a lot of people say that they're either uh, voodoo dolls or um, or dog toys. So if they're now they could be seven year old grandma toys, also. Well, thank you uh, so much for having tea with me. I'll talk to you again. Bye.
We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle, day.